Hi, this is Aaron Azrod, and welcome to the 82nd episode of the Truth Island podcast. A bike chain is often used to keep a bike locked in one place and prevent people from simply riding off with our hard-earned property. However, a bike that has spent the remainder of its days chained to the same pole for all eternity probably wouldn't be worth all that much. Just as bikes need to see miles, so do we as humans. However, whether we see it or not, each of us has many invisible chains that are holding us down. Let's think about this for a moment. Did any of us have a choice when we were sent off to kindergarten, middle school, high school? Probably not. However, most of us would say that they voluntarily went to college, but let's unpack that for a moment. The choice to go to college or not go to college was probably never yours to begin with. You heard me right, folks. Let me explain. As we get older, especially once we hit secondary school, the opinion of others starts mattering more and more. The opinion of our peers, of our parents. So depending on whether or not the people around you did or did not do something, probably had a huge impact on how you behaved and the choices you made. You see, social disapprobation remains one of society's most clever and yet fiendish controls as it forces you to consent to choices that you think are your own. And yet, most people are never fortunate enough to escape from other people and take a glance from a tall hilltop. Joining me to discuss some of the bike chains that we have in life, I am once again joined by Alexander. Alex, I love a good bike trip. Let's take a ride together, shall we? Yeah, absolutely. Let me just unchain the 25 locks I put on my own bike this year. <laughs> uh, and, you know, I can't, I'm not even sure if I can find the keys. So give me a few seconds. Let me just fumble through this ring. Maybe it's one and, of those uh, uh, passcode <laughs> locks, you know? <laughs> right. If only, right? If only it was that easy just by touch. Wisdom. So Wisdom is the magic digits. Wisdom is the magic <laughs> digits to unlocking the bike. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Proverbially speaking, of course. Um, yeah, metaphorically, let's take a ride, man. I mean, that's taking a bike ride is exactly what I've been attempting to do with my life since COVID-19. Because I, I came home one day, had to quarantine like most Americans and found out that the chains I was living with are a lot heavier than I realized. And it was at that moment, I had to start understanding ways of releasing myself from those chains and the first step to that is obviously recognizing what the chain is, right? Like, what is the purpose of the chain? Did you put it there? Was it something that um, that was put upon you? Did you choose your own chain? Was it, uh, how, how far back does the chain go? You know, I remember like one of the first shows I ever did was uh, Christmas Carol. And for some reason, I always had this really fond memory of one of the ghosts of, I believe it was Christmas past of um, one of the main characters was just covered in chains. And it was like resemblant of how he's now enslaved to the past, to his ideas of what he thought was his truth, his reality. And that in order for him to be free of his past, he has to release those balls and chains. Yes, yes. I think that ghost was uh, Ebenezer's like former business partner. partner yes, not mis- that was yeah. it. Yeah, and he comes back and basically this guy, uh, I guess le- when he was alive, 
he lives a very greedy lifestyle as well. Like he, he's, um, you know, a miser for money and all this other stuff. And then he dies and he realizes that his like infatuation with money has actually damned him. And many of us, many, I think in the Christian sense of the word, think that damnation is what happens to you after you die. And right. And the atheist or, or people who don't believe in that will be like, well, I, I don't believe in that nonsense. So let me chase money. But here's the thing. What we don't realize is that damnation or, or being covered in chains is not just something that occurs when you die, you know, if you believe that to be true. It's actually something that, that exists right now in the here and now. I think it's important for people to prioritize the, the present moment over what is allegedly the future after your life here on Earth. I mean, this is the only thing right now that we can definitively say exists. Everything else is just a belief. And people's beliefs tend to be somewhat skewed by their own perception of reality. So for me, it's damnation absolutely can be present life. And I do my best to try to identify ways to relinquish those chains from myself. And you know that thinking about chains this past week has really brought up that word relinquish, which is, I'm not exactly clear on the connection between that but that was a word that just kept popping up it's like relinquish it's 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 more than just release it's it's almost like a bondage um but also a self-contained bondage right where it's like you're acquiescing it's a relinquish of of those burdens and those chains and and you know i've done a, a lot of reflection on this this past week specifically um i actually just had a really major trip to release specific chains, some of the maybe heaviest chains I've had in my personal life. I flew down to Florida to, to try to um, achieve a freedom from those chains that I was carrying. And it was one of the major things that really kept me in a stationary place during this pandemic. And so, you know, I decided it's like, you know what, I'm gonna put it online. I've got to jump in with courage. I got to go down and I got to dress this head on and whatever happens, happens. And you know what? I feel 30 times lighter since doing it. Yes, what you're saying actually reminds me, um, there's actually a very good meme, and I, I hate memes, by the way. I, I usually find them to be very cynical and very destructive, but this meme in, in particular is pretty good. And it, it shows a picture of a guy holding a rope and his hand is all red. Like he's holding a rope very tightly and his like hand is completely red and, and almost bloodied. And then he lets go of the rope and now his hand is feeling much better. And I think that's, you know, and, and it kind of reminds me of um, if you ever went to like Chuck E. Cheese or one of these places, sometimes you would win something called like a Chinese finger trap. And like the more, the more you tug at the Chinese finger trap, the more you're, you're stuck in there. It's only when you kind of let go and push it together that you come out. And I think a lot of people are, are dealing with that. Like they're still clinging to the corporate ladder, they're still clinging to the old world. I call it actually, you know, for our generation, that's the old world, in my opinion. Like, you know, you're you're working at Microsoft or whatever kind of job. That's the old world, and a lot of people our age, you know, in the um, let's say 21 and up category, where we have to realize that the world of our parents, the old world is no longer our world. It's gone. It's, it's, it's over. It's, it's never coming back. And there's nothing, there's no college degree. There's nothing that's going to save you 
Um, it, there's nothing that's going to bring back that old world. And I think once we come to that state of absolute acceptance that the old world is now no more, then then we're going to, just as you said, like you moving down to Florida for a sec, it actually, it's going to make you feel a lot lighter. It's going to make you feel a lot better. Like your hand is going to feel, you know, much better that it's not tag, you know, like tugging on this, this hard and coarse rope. I agree. And the idea of me going down to Florida to specifically have a conversation with somebody, I surprised uh, this person who I'm very, very close with and had to have a heart to heart, a reconciliation because it wasn't, it wasn't coming to a close. What happens when I feel like I'm stuck in a chain is I can't go anywhere. You know, it's like no matter how hard you try, you have to return back to whatever range is allowed that, that you gave yourself with your own chains. You know, it's like, like how far do the links express themselves? You have to, you're only able to, to go in a certain range with your own chains. And, it's, and without those kinds of new, without that newness in life, I feel no inspiration and I feel extremely stale. So I, I had to fly down and I had to address this chain specifically and find out if it was exactly what I thought it was, if it was something worth fighting for, if it was something worth the ball and chain. Yes. And I discovered it wasn't. Okay. Simply because the truth, truth sets you free. You know, like you gotta, you gotta ask yourself, like, what am I putting on myself right now? Am I living truthfully in the version of myself that I want to be? And if not, it's absolutely okay. The concept of time, the concept of expectation is all man-made. You, you need to take yourself out of like the Newtonian framework of thinking and put yourself into more of a, a quantum thought process and think in a dimension level beyond what you can touch, see, smell, and feel. You know, there's, there's, there's a whole nother vibration out there. And only then, only when you accept that you have a chain, are you able to take it off? And only after accepting it, are you able to move through it, not around it. You can't avoid it. You got to go through it. But, but that's the beauty of it. And, you know, I ask myself, it's like, okay, is, is a chain a negative thing? Or is, does a chain exist in order for us to come to terms with what we need to recognize in order to move past it? Some a question I don't think I'll ever really get the answer. Like I'd like to make it utilitarian and say, absolutely, we need it. But um, maybe that's not true. Okay, so I want to use another analogy here. And this is the analogy of imagine you've got a dude who's got like an, you know, an, a cool, slick Mercedes or antique car. But the guy keeps the car locked in a garage all all year long. He just he's afraid to take it out, right? He won't take it out. He's like, I don't want to get a scratch. I don't want to get into a fender bender. And that car just sits there in that garage. The probability that that car is going to be a lot safer goes up. Okay, You're, you know, if if you don't want to damage a car, the best thing you can do is just leave it in a garage, right? It's not exposed to the elements. It's not gonna you're not gonna get into an accident on the highway. But that actually defeats the purpose of having a nice car, right? Doesn't it? It actually de completely defeats the purpose. The, the purpose of it is to take that nice car and have adventures and to see things. And when you have adventures, 
you risk negative things happening to you, right? Like I'm not saying that when you remove the chains, it's all peachy and warm and lovey and like everything just works out. And I think our movies do a really bad job at that. Like our movies make it seem like, you know, I quit this job and then everything just works out. No, 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 no. There's many years and, and there's many months of hardship, of struggle, of identity, of, and like you said, you know, I, what I liked about your story is that you moved down to Florida and it actually was not a fairy tale ending or whatever. And I actually, I like that about your story because you're reminding our listener that sometimes you will break the chains off and you will get into a fender bender. You will get scratched and you will have like an accident or something, but that's okay, man, because getting into that accident is going to teach you something new about yourself and allow you to move on to newer heights. So I think that a lot of us are afraid of removing the chains because they're afraid they're going to get into some kind of accident. They're going to, you know, run into some kind of calamity. They won't know what to do. And then they're going to get to a point where it's like, oh man, I should have just stayed chained in my garage. But, you know, as if the hero's journey can teach us anything, it's like, it's actually all the accidents and collisions and mishappenings that make life worthwhile. And and, and that's why we, we got to take these chains off and face the the good and the bad music. I could not agree more. And the beauty of life is moving forward with courage, with the knowledge that what you might be doing may be the last thing you do, might be the riskiest thing you've ever attempted, and the understanding that you're willing to put that yourself on the line just to see. No promises, just to see. Because at the end of the day, no, no one's making it. <laughs> no one's making it out. So I have nothing to lose at this point. You know, I, I thought I did for the longest time. I really feel like I have absolutely nothing to lose. So um, I'm enjoying this, this break and, and, uh, and that mentality into something a little bit more um, neutral you know, no, no added value or decreased value or anything. Just, you know, I'm just enjoying the existence of it because I, I personally, for me, the longer I hold on to things, the heavier they become. So at some point it just becomes uh, counterintuitive to, to hold on to these things. You know, it's like, but we're taught to, right? Like every, everyone around us reminds us what our duties are by our gender roles, by, by our financial needs, by, what's appropriate at the Thanksgiving day table. You know, like how many families are about to get together today or, you know, this, this coming week to discuss, oh, what have you been doing? Oh, what have you been doing, Alexander? Oh, tell me, like, how was your 2020? Oh, like, what are you working on? And I'm going to be like, nothing, absolutely nothing. <laughs> you know, I have nothing to show for it. And you know what? I've never been more proud of that because I don't want to reach for something right now. You know, well, I, I liked something you touched upon earlier, and that is, I think death is one of the great motivators. I, I think it's actually the ultimate incentive of everything that we do, because, you know, a lot of us just fear death, right? We just we just fear it. Whereas I kind of like it. I like I like that there's a time limit on what it is that I need to do on this earth. I think that's actually a really beautiful thing. I actually think that if we were all granted immortality, we would all become really, 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 really lazy. Um, have you ever watched that movie or read the book uh, Interview with a Vampire by any chance? Yes. Yeah. Okay. 
those vampires are, are granted like eternal life. Like in, in the Anne, I think her name is Anne Rice who writes this book. And they actually just turn into giant like nihilists. They sit around, they don't do anything. They just, um, you know, Tom Cruise or whatever just goes out and sucks people's blood and they fool around. Like they don't actually take life seriously because they, they're immortal, they, they live forever. And that's like the worst curse that you could give a human being is eternal life. Because if a human being had eternal life, there is no impetus, there's no incentive to do absolutely anything. So I would say that having death always in the background is a, a majestic and a beautiful thing because it then tells you, if I don't live this life precisely, precisely how I want it to look, well, I'm going to die and there's not going to be all that much that I can do about it. And what's kind of cool, man, is that you know, we're having this conversation in our 30s and not necessarily in our 70s or 80s. So I, I, I think that that's, that's a good wake up call. And I'm really hoping that, that people that are, you know, equal to our age or below us in age can really kind of hear this because it's really, really important that they don't allow chains to kind of deny them the life that they always wanted. And more importantly, they have to accept the fact that chains are inevitable and that no matter how hard you try, you will be reassigning new chains. And the idea isn't to never have chains on yourself, but the idea is to have the habit structure where once you recognize one, you're able to let go. And I think that is really the underlying lesson. Okay. Well, let's, let's go back to bicycles now. And I think that you're right. There's a time for freedom and there's also a time for chains. I, I agree with you with this, this universe is completely about balances. How about this? Imagine you're a bike and you're chained in like the worst part of town, right? It's like, like just terrible out there. I know, right. It's kind of weird to think of a bike having like conscience and feelings, but let just let, hear me out on this, right? The bike is really sad in this part of town. So the owner comes, unchains the bike and then takes the bike to some beautiful green meadow and then chains the bike to a beautiful tree. So I think that we can we need to move so that we can discover the beautiful meadows in our life and, and then chain ourselves to that new meadow. I'm like, okay, this is the new rock that I'm gonna kind of rest on for a while. And then when that meadow becomes boring or stale or there's something that goes wrong there, then the bike needs to unchain itself again and go somewhere else. So I think that you're right, that we need to chain ourselves from time to time, but we should be chaining ourselves in a very periodic manner. We should not be in one place. And when I say place, I don't necessarily mean in terms of geography. I mean, in terms of what you're doing with your life, right? So you, you are doing one thing for a number of years, but as soon as it starts becoming stale or not working or is leaving you unfulfilled, you, you must unchain yourself from that activity and then ride off to somewhere greener until that then becomes stale. And then you continuously ride off to a new place. Yes, but I'm gonna challenge you on this. I'm gonna say that the goal isn't to be chained in a more beautiful place. The goal is to be doing what you're fashioned to do. Now, if we're the bike in this example, what we're fashioned to do is roll. So I would like to, if in a perfect world, if I was defining my life as a bicycle, I would go from the terrible location to the field with no chain whatsoever, riding through it. I, I think that people confuse the idea of location with new discovery. And there is an element of that, but there's a threshold. I think that going to a new place, you can bring just as much luggage with you, just as much baggage or whatever metaphor you'd like to give, just as much, just as much stagnation. 
in whatever location you go through. For me, it's more about being as light as possible in my personal life at the moment, because I've tried so hard to have these monuments of status in my life in a way, you know, like running a company, having, you know, a, a, a traditional household to be able to, you know, walk in with the smell of home cooked dinner every day and to have this bank account and have like all of these to do's checked off that don't necessarily feed the machine. And also, are exploited because I felt that other people needed to see that I was doing it and all that's bullshit, you know? So. Okay. Let me, I think, let me refine my thoughts a little bit. Okay. When I say like green Hill or new place, I actually mean that those things are tasks that one should be fulfilling. So for example, let's say your first meadow or your first green Hill is writing a novel. Okay. So you start writing that novel. And then once that novel is done, then you kind of wander off and be like, hmm, maybe I want to dabble my hands in film now, or "Mm, maybe I want to dabble my hands in cooking. So those meadows are all new tasks and new purpose and meaning. Now, I would argue, Alexander, that if you don't know where the next green meadow is, it's okay to take a bit of a detour. It's okay to like take a long bike ride and, and, and see a bunch of other stuff and, and maybe just park your bike for five seconds over here and be like, yeah, this isn't working out. I'm not really feeling this. That's, that's okay. And I, it sounds like to me, that's what you're doing right now is that you're, you're still, you're, you're kind of exploring new things that you might want to dabble with. And that's okay. Like the, the healthy exploration is, is totally fine. But I think the goal of your exploration is to eventually park your bike and be like, I must write this novel right now, or I must make this film, or I must write this screenplay, or I must build this website or whatever it is, you do that thing. And then once you are like satisfied, once once you cannot extract any further meaning from that thing, you get back on your bike. And again, you might take, a, you know, you may not immediately go to your next destination immediately. That's totally fine. You could be, you know, on your bike seeing great stuff for six months or just exploring new hobbies for six months. But ultimately these journeys are to try and find new forms of purpose in activities. Yes. And more specifically, not so much about where I'm going, but just how I feel in the present moment. So I try not to even add value towards goals at this point, because I'm just, I'm such a goal oriented person. And what I found out is that the, the, incessant nature I put on myself that achieve these goals was a chain in itself. The idea that I must achieve these things. Right now I'm flipping the script because there's more lesson in the undoing of that mentality than there is to have it. Now, does that mean I don't particularly have a vision towards a direction or a plan? No. But what I'm saying is, is that there's also a weight to the ideation, to the the belief that these marks on your calendar have to be met. I'm I'm in this weird place where I'm not even focusing on being happy. I'm just focusing on what it's like to be in joy. And that has been what has been stripping away my chains. Who knows if it's a perfect system, you know, um, but so far it's been, it's been helpful. You're, you're actually touching upon a very nice distinction here because when you're going on your bike ride, uh, you know, for the next big thing, you need to enjoy the scenic that, you know, you need to enjoy the journey. So I, I think in your state right now, 
you're like, okay, I'm not entirely sure where my next destination is. And I'm not going to like, basically what you're doing is you're not putting all of your mental acumen or energies into being like, I need to find the next hill. I need to find the next hill. Like, cause that's going to drive you crazy. And I, I actually full heartedly agree with you because if you are riding your bike and you're constantly looking for like, I need that next hill. I need the next novel right now, right now. Well, you're actually destroying the very inspiration that's going to get you to the next hill. So I, I actually agree. I think I think there, there's a balance where when you're involved in that task, you're in the moment. And then even when you're just riding your bike freely, you're also in that moment as well. So I think it's very important to kind of embrace the specific parts of the journey that you may find yourself in. Yeah, and it's enjoying the time that I'm here, having more gravitas towards the individual seconds that I have in, in between thoughts and spending more time on the power of a singular thought. The way I describe it is I'm not focusing so much about living wide. I'm focusing right now on living deep because I would, I, I just, I'm such a curious person. So I dive into, I mean, you and I both are the same way in this way. Like we just fall down these whimsies and study all these intricate pieces of information that aren't even necessarily related to each other, but it's because we find an interest, we delve into it, we meddle around with it for a bit, we get a, a strong enough concept of it, and then something else grasps our attention. I'm trying to remove as many things in my life as possible to focus more singularly and to delve more deep because that has been something I have not done in some time. Yes, I, I, I think that singularity is 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 important uh just on an aside um you know if you would have asked me maybe like a year ago or so like i would have been like man i read way too much stuff or many of this stuff is never going to come in handy but it's so funny that this podcast has been like the perfect application <laughs> of all of this like random ass knowledge like all of a sudden like <laughs> random ass knowledge is here to like save me and help me and i i, I think like yes we need to be um you know, there are times in our life where we need to be very singular in our, in our focus area, like that, that's important, but also having an appreciation that the random things that you learn in this world, you never know, you never know, like they, 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 they will, they, they might actually be the keys to another lock that you find down mm -hmm. the road. Yes. Things have a funny way of circling back no matter what. And that's part of my fascination with storytelling. There's always a beginning, middle, and an end. And they tend to wrap up all of the utility, all the, it, it creates a utility out of all the pain, all of the experiences, all of the lessons. Um, I just read this amazing book uh, that I think you would really like called The Archer. I don't know if you've heard of this by Paulo Coelho, I believe is his last name. Same guy who did Alchemist. And he's, it's very quick read. Oh, I, I, I read, read The it. Alchemist. Really good book. Yeah. Really good book. Oh, yeah. He's amazing. He's amazing. So he just did one called The Archer. And it's the story about this little boy who comes across this carpenter. And as he's in this carpenter shop, uh, a stranger walks in and challenges the carpenter to an archery contest because he knows that he's actually the master of, of I guess, all of planet Earth. He knows that he is the best archer who's ever lived. So they have a contest. The stranger pulls his bow. He shoots perfectly and pierces through a cherry on a tree. 
And then the master archer says, okay, now try to do that standing over, uh, over this cliffside and try to do the same thing. And he couldn't do it. And he says, it's because you've mastered the bow, but you haven't mastered your mind while using the bow. That sounds like some guy I want to learn from. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know where I'm going with that. Read the book. Link in the description. <laughs> anyway, like, it's a good fucking book. No, I no, I actually like this idea of um, you need to like what in whatever you're doing, you need to be the master of yourself. And I've actually, um, you know, you and I like martial arts, right? And mm -hmm. one of the things was is when I was a kid, I the only sport that I liked was martial arts. I liked judo and things like that. I hated team sports because team sports actually requires you to have some mastery of yourself, but to also master working with your teammates, right? That, that's the whole purpose mm -hmm. of, of like organized sports with balls and things like that. What I loved about martial arts is that there's so much emphasis on like, it's you, it's you, you must master yourself. And that is like one of the reasons why I like individualistic sports is that when you're working with a team or other people, oh man, that guy didn't was you know didn't show up to five practices or whatever. But I like this idea that you, in order to really excel at anything, look inward, look inward and see what it is that you're doing. And people actually think that, man, no, you know, like that that's not cool. Like I want someone to blame, right? So I think another chain that we all have is blaming the external other, you know, the ex the external other, like oh. I, I can't succeed. It's it's the it's the external ceiling that's above me that's preventing this. But I like I you know and and some th some things you have to work with other people. That sucks. You know that's why I try and you know choose things that I can work either by myself or with carefully selected curated people. But th the idea is is that always always find mastery of yourself in whatever it is you're doing. And I think archery is an excellent example of that where it's like you really can't blame anyone for missing the target it's really you there's no, there's nothing else there that's preventing that arrow from hitting that bullseye exactly and i think the greatest weakness of our generation not to compare it to our parents because i know our parents generation and our grandparents generation they love to look down on our current generation and i'm always the first one to stand up and defend our generation always because i think that that's just kind of this strange uh, Napoleon on a hill uh, moment. But I will agree that one key problem that our generation has is this entitlement of victimhood, where they believe their external circumstances is the defining factor that creates unhappiness in their life or creates a lack of fulfillment. And the beauty in martial arts is you always recognize the external and the internal and the idea in martial arts is to strike that balance it's the mm -hmm. perfect description between having gravity and you know an internal expansion it's those two forces that that meet each other it is force that is force that's what we literally diagram in our science books as what force is two arrows pointing to a line I mean, that's how my textbook was, right? <laughs> that's that's how it works. You have an internal force pushing out and an external force pushing in. That's what creates matter. That's what creates force, energy. That's what martial arts is about. It's that, it's that in-between phase. And yes, it does come down to you, but it also comes down to your opponent. And that's what I love about it is the the, the striking that that tiny little firmament in between the two of those 
those two variables. So whenever people say, oh, it's my external force, what they're not doing is they're not, they're not exciting their internal force. And they have to recognize that you need to meet the challenge. And this is why martial arts changes people's minds. It's because they know I have to meet the challenge. I don't wait for the challenge to come. That is more philosophical than, than martial, right? And there is a philosophical element, of course, but there's also the martial element. And I think our generation is overly philosophical and less martial where our parents and grandparents are the inverse. Yes, man, this is this is great actually because I think that this this learned helplessness or this um, basically blaming external forces it's really we're we're kind of indoctrinated with this and I'm not I'm not making some kind of libertarian type argument right now I'm, <laughs> I'm just I'm basically saying that we you know I you know I, I did go to school I did get a liberal arts education and there's a lot well society and the institution demands and, and it's like. It's really, it makes you like, I was actually, you know, it's funny, Alexander, is that when I was, I was telling somebody when I, I, I may have actually told you this, is that when I was like 17 or 18, I was actually a lot happier than after I graduated from college, because when I was 17 and 18, I actually believed that I, as the individual, could do whatever the hell it is that I wanted, and not in a like destructive, let me throw this brick through someone's window kind of way, but in <laughs> in, in 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 a positive way. I actually thought like, right. yes, if I just work hard, if I just do this, and that's actually when I was seventeen. That's exactly when I was doing judo, which is is amazing that like you have all of these like correlations. Then I go through college. I spend years and years hearing about institutions and this and that and. Then, then I leave. Oh well, man. Um, is I, I'm weak. I'm I'm small. The, the the big bad world decides where I go. I have to bite my tongue a little bit more. I have to kind of be a little bit more agreeable. Smile and and wink at the right times. And that has all the, all of that stuff has made me very 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 weak. And I think the process of removing that. So I, I did an episode recently with my friend Kenny about removing the social conditioning, just removing, like basically purging that out of your system and getting mm -hmm. back to your 17 year old self and being like, yes, that like ultimately I am responsible for the life that I am given. I think that's, I think Nietzsche, I'm paraphrasing Nietzsche uh, when I say that. You know, and, and that's that's the kind of return to innocence, and that's the kind of return that our generation needs, where it's like it's really us that that can do that that can make a difference. And like when I say that, people are like, "Come on, dude, I'm working this job, and my boss is a dick, and whatever." I'm like, "Okay, I'm not I'm not saying you're wrong, man, but here's the deal." on your weekends, in your free time, especially if you're a single, like, like, especially if you're, you know, a guy like you and I that doesn't have kids, you need to be spending your weekends, your, your evenings or whatever it is, cultivating your highest self. You, you must absolutely be doing that, you know, work your job and have a roof over your head and some canned soup or whatever it is that you need to survive and see the next day. But you have got to be cultivating your, your highest self. And I think martial arts stresses that, man. It doesn't, martial arts doesn't teach you that like, you know, oh man, the system, this, the, you know, the system has got this, this dojo or this like sensei has got me like down, man, he's corrupted us or whatever. No, <laughs> the, 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 the martial arts teaches you that you need to work harder. It's not the sensei's fault. It's your fault. Right. And to keep the balance, like one thing that I 
one thing I did way too often was I would try to take the the opposite side of the coin, assuming that by moving to that other extreme, I'm solving the previous extreme that I just left. So instead of going 180 degrees left, I'd go, I guess what it would be like 180 degrees right to try to balance it out. But the, the reality is, is just to stay down the middle. So even though it is yourself, you have to also understand that the external is still part of the equation. One plus one equals two, right? So what I made the mistake of doing was chaining myself by focusing on the tail side of the coin, thinking I'm getting away from the head side. But the reality is, is a healthy life is following right down the ridge line and not necessarily being on either side. Um, that's a that's, fantastic analogy. I love that being on the ridge side of the coin. Uh, that's beautiful, right? And it's funny because what are the chances of a coin landing on its ridge? I don't even probably that's not <laughs> even like that's probably not even like physically possible. But it's it's funny because I think that's that's kind of where true enlightenment lies, and it's only only a select few that actually get there and realize like, hey, there's a time for for this and there's a time for that, and it's a very it's a very very difficult balance. Let, let's talk about both of these extremes and maybe we can have some rules to help us. Sure. Let's, let's start with repressed man or woman who's chained to the job, chained to things. And let's just put, let's just make this person 26 years old. Okay. We're going to make them like young enough that like they don't have real chains like children or something like that's a real chain. Mm -hmm. I'm not even going to like kid people here and, and pretend like it's not, but you, you're 26, 27. You don't have any kids. Uh, maybe you have an on and off girlfriend, I don't know, but no real chains, like fake chains, right? Like, how do we talk this young person into like, hey, you ought to take a chance on yourself? Like, what, what would be mm -hmm. some like, life coaching that we could give that person? I would say first and foremost, you need to take a bird's eye view towards the longevity of your life to remove the closed, closed mindedness of your time scale. Like I've always asked myself, how would I explain to a child what to avoid the most in life, like periodically? And I imagine myself drawing a timeline, being like, okay, right around here is your teenage years. This is where you're going to start to get a little shaky because you're going to have these hormones coming through. So you're more likely to start getting out of balance in your decision making. And then you come up here towards age 30, where you look back at everything you've done in your life and you start to ask yourself larger questions. Is this heading in the correct direction? Am I a few degrees off course? Am I following my North Star? But if you zoom yourself out to a life of, say, 60 years, and that's a privilege, living that long. Every single person alive has asked them, themselves that question. Have I been living the life that I want to live? So it behooves you in this moment, at an early age, to stop what you're doing, Pull yourself out of the one to two to three to five year mark that you're thinking in and to start thinking 30 years, 40 years, 60 years old. And then you start seeing that that little moment that you're struggling with gets very small because your scale is growing further and further out. And it's only then are you able to see it in perspective of just how tiny this problem is. And then you're able to say, oh, okay, so if I were to spend three months like your friend roaming the United States living out of just a suitcase, that three months, how fast does that go? Three months is a speck. 
My life's a speck. Oh, none of this matters. So I may as well strive for the things that give me reciprocity and joy every single day. And then from that point on, your chains start falling off themselves and less is more. And you're more able to sit in a sense of presence and soak in the waves of life that are just beneficial and graceful. And then you start having a change in thought. And now you're not adding another coin to the wrong kind of cookie jar. You're not feeding the wrong wolf because your thoughts aren't veering off so, you know, so far from the course. Just change your time scale. That's number one. That's beautiful, my friend. That's so beautiful, Alexander. I'm really, because I don't want to ever hear the words, what's your five-year plan again? And I never want to hear, <laughs> I, I, I never want to hear that, that, that again, because what you really need to be like is what's my 80-year plan or something, because that's, that's actually going to make a lot more sense. And, and this is, again, I think society conditions us to think, what's, what's your five-year plan or whatever. And that keeps us actually in a very limited way of thinking about ourselves. Because when we think about five years in the future, we think it's a long time, but then we're still operating within the paradigm of, of where we are at. So if you ask somebody, and that's, I, I, I hate when they ask that at a job, well, what's your five-year plan? And it's like, they want you to provide an answer that confined to the paradigm of you still working within that that organization or something like oh yeah well i hope to start off here in the entry level and then work my way up to manager and i'm like dude that job could just be blown from underneath you in five seconds like that that job will just be ripped ripped from you and you won't even see it coming it'll just like come lightning quick and then all your five-year plan is in the garbage you know totally but if you have an 80-year plan that's a lot that's you know that's much harder to screw with can't screw with someone's 80 year plan because if they have little short, you know, if they have um, setbacks like losing their job or, oh man, I'm going to have to scale back on going out or I can't really afford that car. That's okay because 80 year plans are not as contingent upon minutia details. They're much, they're much more broader and there's much many, there's many different avenues and roads you can take to reach an 80 year plan as opposed to a five year plan. Agreed. And one of the best lessons my father ever told me was Imagine yourself at your funeral where no one can see you. You're hovering over the funeral. You see everyone circled around your coffin or your, your ashes, or, you know, if you want to get really, really hippie, the tree that's growing out of your body sack. <laughs> Some people like to do that and ask yourself what you want them to be saying about you, what you'd like to see written on your eulogy. Keep the end in mind and then vote with your feet. Something he always taught me. So you got to ask yourself, okay, is my current state where I'm going permanently? Maybe. And that means I need to have change. Okay, great. Everything has a season. This might be my fall. This might be my winter, but there's always a spring. I can choose to make that spring the best possible uh, direction that puts me with the end in mind. So just don't panic, you know, just, just realize you can change it. It's definitely not easy. It always sounds easy when you hear someone talk about it on a podcast. It always sounds easy when you look up uh, like the extreme example of success. There's so many successes that no one talks about or no one gets to see. And it's not about other people thinking you succeeded. It's a little secret you keep to yourself. 
you know, that I did it. Like I made that change. I don't care the outcome. I don't care if I have the same pair of jeans for the next 20 years of my life. If I know inside in my heart that I'm doing what, what I need to do to feel good. That's what it's about. You know what, man, I'm going to even add something to your father's advice. I would say when you're, when they're putting you in that casket or most of us are getting cremated these days or whatever, make sure that you're going out with a smile, regardless of what they say about, <laughs> regardless of what they're saying about you or whatever, whether they liked you or didn't make sure that when you're in that casket, you're like, yeah, I did exactly. I lived this thing the way I wanted it to be. You know, that doesn't mean that you got everything you wanted out of it. It doesn't mean that you got to be famous. It doesn't mean that you got all of the adulation and things you wanted, but you need to, it's, it's your casket and you need to make sure that when you're in that casket, you, you know, everything went the way that you did the best that you could to get to where you really wanted to be. Okay, thinking about the other extreme um, if you're living, I guess, a life that's too loosey-goosey, do you think that that's possible as well? You're, you're kind of like the, the two vampires in Interview with the Vampire, and there's no direction at all. How do we kind of get some of those people to just hunker down on a hill for a little while so they can maybe accomplish something of a little meaning? Well, I would say if they're loosey-goosey because they're happy, if they're, leaving, if they're living a hedonistic life that fulfills them, you know, I would say, keep on keeping on, you know what I'm saying? All right, all right, all right. Like, you don't, it just uh, do what makes you feel good. But if you, if you, if you're the kind of person who has this nagging notion that there's something you're supposed to be doing, that's bigger, that has a degree of service, that is something you can do your best to etch into the sands of time then you have to do it. You know, the richest place in the world is the graveyard, right? All these dreams and all these ideas, they go there. If they're not made, and I, I, I believe that ideas and inspiration is you're chosen to receive that like an antenna. It's not necessarily something that you generate. It's you just happen to be in the right frequency to receive. You gotta do it because it's one of the unique gifts of humankind. There's no other animal that has this ability to do this. The closest thing to it is an ant or a beaver because they both build things. The closest thing is to that, you know, but what, what can we do? We can write amazing stories of art. We can uh, journal our entire lives so that while we pass away, our great, great grandchildren can read about us in vivid detail about the struggles we went through to provide a sense of structure. Maybe that great, great grandchild has some disease where he or she can't walk. How do they cope? Maybe that's what you do. That's what you pass down. Maybe you, you run this incredible marathon and you break, you break the, the, the idea of what's possible in the physical body. Maybe you invent something that changes lives. Or maybe you just look someone in the eye every time they have a conversation and make them feel warm. You just got to find a thing. You can't put a value on it. It's just, it's gotta, it's gotta be how you feel about it, not how someone else feels about it because it's your secret, it's your contract, it's your agreement, it's your sense of service. Without a sense of service, personally, I crumble. I crumble and I grasp for things. And that's when, you know, alcohol gets passed around. That's when, you know, uh, the occasional blunt goes to like three or four a day. 
you know, and then I'm just totally lost in this like mystique of who I wish I was as opposed to what I'm doing in the day. You, you got to get back to that. So I, I think that what you're saying is very true. And that like, I, I've talked with a lot of guys who are now getting, you know, as a result of the pandemic, they're getting into stoicism. And I'm like, hey, I love stoicism. I, I applaud that, right? But then we get into this idea of like, can you ever have 100% stoicism? And is there a danger in that? And I like what you're saying that there is a, a, a window. There is a window for a little hedonism to kind of seep through where you're like, hey, man, I just accomplished this really incredible thing. I need a little bit of a break, a little bit of drinking, a little bit of fun. And, and I think... I think that that's necessary, but I like what you said that as soon as higher purpose creeps into your mind, once higher purpose, like you can have some fun, maybe it lasts a few months or whatever it is, but then as soon as higher purpose creeps into your mind, the danger is ignoring the higher purpose, the high, the calling as, as it's called, you're, 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 you're running away from the calling. And then instead of just having one or two beers, you're now having four or five beers. And I think that's why people kind of drink more, whatever, is that they, they're actually not the ones that are lost. Like they actually have the calling, but they're like Jonah and the whale. They're like running away from the calling to do that higher purpose. And that's, that's where the danger lies in. If you have no, if, if the calling has not found you of what you should do next, okay, have a little fun, you know, walk the streets of Paris and have a few beers and, and just chill. But- mm. The second that you are like, shit, I should be doing this. Or why isn't anyone else doing this? I'm really good at that. As soon as you have that moment, wherever you are, you need to kind of just stop what you're doing and start doing that thing. I think that's that's the hiccup that a lot of people have. I would say that it is possible to be 100% stoic, but the definition of stoic changes. The definition that I follow, the, the, follow, the more you know, Aurelian version of stoicism is what is your inner citadel it doesn't mean you, you are unaffected right that doesn't mean you're apathetic what is your inner citadel my inner citadel is committing myself to something very specific with a degree of discipline that i can walk through any situation with a smile so i think it is possible to be 100 stoic because really it's about accepting the ride and not letting it knock you off course. Not, not that it doesn't affect you, but that it doesn't knock you off course. And there's a difference, right? Like the perfect example in uh, meditations is that you're still being pulled by the cart, but the object isn't you're trying to stop the cart by planting your feet and pulling on the rope as far as you can, right? Because in this, in this situation, you're, you're tied to a rope, right? This is the example for those who don't know meditations. Um, you're being pulled by an ox cart by a rope. Your hands are tied to the rope. You're being pulled by the ox cart. Does it make sense for you to try to fight the ox cart, create more damage in your body to be falling over, stumbling, hurting yourself? Or is it wiser to accept the ox cart and follow along with it? There's an inherent release of control that gives you control because you're back in your inner citadel. You are choosing what is allowed and what isn't by not necessarily freaking out by particular situations. So 100% stoic can mean a lot of different things. Um, and I know I, for a fact that Marcus Aurelius wasn't an apathetic human, right? Except maybe to his kid. 
But other than that. <laughs> no, I actually, I love, I absolutely love your interpretation of, of stoicism and, and kudos. I, I need to go back and reread the meditations. I totally missed that. Um, that's beautiful because I think under the Aurelius version of stoicism, if the ox is pulling you towards a bit of hedonism, then that's okay. You're actually adapting to that situation. However, if the ox is pulling you towards higher purpose and meaning and industriousness, you're also okay with that as well. I, so I think, I think for Aurelius, he recognizes that there will be times of life where there is great joy and, and, and great festive, you know, great, great festival. And then in, in life, there will be times where it'll be required of us to be more industrious and that we shouldn't resist it. Like, and, and I, I, I think the idea behind that is that you don't want to be the guy at TGI Fridays being like, I don't like it here. You guys are having way too much fun. And like, you don't want to, that's, that's not going with the ox. The ox is telling you to have some fun right now. And by you being a wallflower and sitting in a corner, like a sourpuss being like looking at your watch, being like, I want to go back to writing my novel right now you're actually not following what the ox is telling you. And that's not actually the, the proper application of stoicism. So thank you, man. I think, I think that's a great clarification. Yeah, and people forget you're already there. You're already at TGI Fridays. The cart already took you there. So it's like, what are you gonna do? You're gonna try to pull in the opposite direction? Like you can't, you're already there. So you're not even capitalizing. You're not even taking advantage. One of my favorite quotes from meditation is, what are men but leaves that fall by the breath of the wind? Fantastic quote, basically saying how life is short, enjoy it. And that's what it comes down to. Enjoy enjoy the ox cart pulling, <laughs> so to speak. Get what you can out of it. Get the, get the joy out of it while you can. And that's your choice. That's your citadel. One thing I will say, though, is that when we say joy, though, Sometimes that joy comes in the form of hedonism and pleasure. Sometimes that joy comes from something a lot more Herculean and something a lot more difficult that one must achieve. So I think, I think that's just a, a good dis- a distinction to make. Alexander, thank you so much for being on the show today. Anytime, buddy. Thank you so much. This concludes the 82nd episode of the Truth Island podcast. I'm Aaron Azrod. <laughs>